Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian's online worship for May 31st, Pentecost Sunday. We gather here, especially as we think of Pentecost, as a confession that God has called us and united us by His Spirit, that God has reached into our lives by His Spirit to awaken us and to draw us into His presence. And so we come to respond in worship. And as I have reminded you in the past, I, I do so again, that, that we respond to Christ's welcome. And so this is a good chance, if you're worshiping with others, to pass the peace of Christ and welcome one another, or to send a, a quick text or note to someone or offer a prayer of peace for a brother or sister in Christ. Also, we come in response to Christ's generosity. And so I invite you to respond generously, to give to the work of the church, and especially want to highlight the Benevolence Fund, the a fund that the deacons can use to support church members and neighbors during this time. Will we come to come to worship God? And as we do so, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves for the call to worship in our worship. Oh, 
flow All for sin could not atone Thou must save and thou alone Nothing in my hand I bring Simply to the cross I cling Naked comes to thee for trust Helpless look to thee for grace Thou art to the fountain fly Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I invite you that you would join with me in prayer for the prayer of invocation. I encourage you to take a moment to check in with yourself or if you're worshiping with others to check in how people are feeling or doing at this time. I'll lead us in a time of prayer and then we'll have a time of end of silence that you can offer your own prayers of lament or confession or bring your own needs to God. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge and thank you that you have called us and you're the one that gathers us. So we turn to you and we ask your attention. With the psalmist, we ask, how long, O Lord? How long must we have sorrow in our hearts. We cry to you during a time when we are confronted with the fragile nature of life. We pray to you, Lord, as we witness over 100,000 of our neighbors pass away from COVID-19. Even as we reference that number, Lord, we know that these are not simply numbers, but men and women made in your image. And so we give thanks for those who are writing or those who have worked to record these names and tell the stories of these men and women that we have lost. And we pray, Lord, now for those who mourn. And we pray also for those who are sick, whether from COVID-19 or another sickness, we pray that you would heal them. And Lord, we remember and pray for the medical workers who are caring for so many. Lord, return the sorrow of our hearts to you. And we come to you as we know anxiety and uncertainties about our schedules, about our school, about our work, about our finances. In particular, we pray for those who lack health care. We pray for those who have lost jobs. We pray for those who are sheltering in homes that are not safe. We pray for those who are lonely and who are afraid, those who are fearful to ask for help. And Lord, as things begin to reopen, we turn to you and we ask that you would be with us. We pray that as we return to activities that we used to not think a moment about, that they've become places that are awkward or feel uncertain or even scary. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to view one another as threats. Lord, with the psalmist, we 
Ask, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and establish justice on the earth? We cry violence, but get no response. Though we call for help, there is no justice. Hear our cry for help, my King and my God, for to you we pray. Lord, we lament as our country has witnessed devastating acts of racial violence. The images and video of George Floyd, a handcuffed black man who died after a white Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck while he was in custody. These images and video are gut-wrenching and deeply disturbing. Lord, on the sixth day of creation, you breathed the breath of life into man and man became alive. And we acknowledge to inhale and exhale is to point to the sovereignty of God as you alone ordain life. And when life is taken, the heavens weep and mourn for the one who has been made in your image. The sadness and pain of this event and the terrible history that it evokes are intense. And so let us pray for comfort for those who are grieving and let us pray for justice we pray that the church would be a witness to your mercy and justice, Christ, and we ask you for your forgiveness for how we have failed in your calling to love all of our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we confess and lament that sin and despair, idolatry run deep within us, in our city, in our country, and in our cries we turn to you, Christ, and we seek to remember that you did not turn away from our sin or our brokenness or our sorrow, but you drew near, coming as the revelation of God in justice and grace and in truth. And so we look to you when we cling to the words from 1 John that say, God is love. In this, the love of God was made known. God sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and showed us love by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if God has loved us so, we ought to love one another. And we pray that we may respond in repentance and faith, that we may place our hope in you, Christ, and in your promise that you will give us new hearts, a new spirit, that you will remove the heart of stone from our chests and give us hearts of flesh. Lord, we turn to you and we ask how long, for you are our hope. I invite you now to take a moment to bring your own prayers, laments and needs to God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The New Testament lesson is 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 13. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, 
Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The gospel lesson is from the gospel according to St. John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to worship with you, and I'm thankful for a chance to look at God's word especially as we gather on Pentecost Sunday, a chance to reflect on the truths of that day. Our country has been rocked by a series of violent waves uh, in the coronavirus. As I mentioned in the prayer, we witnessed over 100,000 recorded deaths. And in the midst of the loss and uncertainties of this virus, we have witnessed images of terrible acts of racial violence. Anxious or uncertain, fearful, outraged, filled with sorrow. We cling to the promise that God meets us where we are, invites us to come to him, that he may minister to us. It's in such circumstances that we need to remember God's actions in Christ and how those actions tell us who we are. They can be a starting point for us to begin to know who we are and how we are called to live. We have such an opportunity today on Pentecost. Pentecost marks God giving us the Holy Spirit, and it proclaims that by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are united to God, united to one another, and called to live as God's representatives in the world. And here is the good news that we see in Pentecost, that we'll hopefully see in our passage. The basis of this union this community, this calling, is not our gender, our social status, our age, or race, or ethnicity, our family background. 
By his grace alone, Christ forms a people from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and all languages. This is the work of Christ that we need to see and remember this day. So let's look at our passage from Acts 2. It's Acts 2, verse 1 through 21. It tells us about the event of Pentecost. You can follow in your Bible or you can simply listen as I read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and we thank you for your word that has called us to yourself. We pray, Lord, that as you would meet us, that you would meet us in all the different ways that we are feeling and all the different things that we are considering within us and around us. And that by your word and spirit that we may find again our identity and our direction in you, Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we work through our passage and think about uh, Pentecost, our sermon will have two questions and, and two parts then. The two questions will be, first, what is Pentecost? It's a good, good question to ask. And the second question will be, what does it mean to live as the people of Pentecost? So let's start with the question, what is Pentecost? Pentecost was the Greek name for the Jewish feast, the Feast of Weeks, that followed Passover. 
Passover reminded, it was a remembering of God's liberating his people, the Jews, from bondage in Egypt. Then 50 days after Passover came Pentecost. And Pentecost was a time to remember that after setting his people free from bondage, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai to give his people his law, his Ten Commandments. It recalls, it recalls God saying, you are my people and I have saved you. Now I'm calling you to live as my people, as my special possessions, that you may be a light to the nations. It recalls the truth that God's actions, grace always precedes law. Grace always precedes obedience. God acts with grace to rescue and claim sinners. And then in this grace-secured relationship, God calls his people to new ways of living. We see this similar pattern in the Christian celebration of Easter and Pentecost. We are redeemed by Christ's death and resurrection, and in this life-changing, grace-secured relationship, we are called by the Spirit to live as Christ's representatives on earth. So Pentecost arrives, and many are gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate. This includes the followers of Jesus, not just the 12 apostles, but 120 people. And they are gathered together, the last 50 days have been a whirlwind. Surely they're still trying to get their, their mind around what has happened and what it means. Jesus' arrest, his terrible death, their fear and shame, his surprising resurrection and mysterious ascension into heaven. Jesus' final instructions to his followers was to wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And once you have received the Spirit, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. So they wait. And as they wait, the city slowly begins to fill up. The streets and the temple are busy. Jews from many different places are now gathered to celebrate in Jerusalem. And on the morning of Pentecost, the place where the disciples were gathering together suddenly fills with a great rush of wind, and it fills the entire house. Along with the rushing wind, divided tongues as of fire appear and rest on each one of them. What does this mean? Coming back to our question, what is Pentecost? Not just a holiday or a feast. What is it? And Luke, the author, says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see, as Moses went up the mountain to meet with God after Passover, then came down with the Ten Commandments to direct the people how to live as God's people. So now, here, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And now he's coming down again, not with written laws carved on stone tablets, but with his Spirit to write his ways upon our hearts. And by the Spirit, we are to be witnesses to Jesus by our words and deeds. See, Jesus continues his ministry here on earth, but through the church by his Spirit. We can further reflect on this gift and this calling by looking at the wind and the fire. 
from heaven comes a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And this wind symbolizes the spirit of God, the, the breath of God. The scene evokes the opening of Genesis when God breathes life into Adam and Eve. Their breath pointing to God as the creator of life, the sovereign one over them. The breath of God creates and brings life and now the spirit of God recreates, brings new life, a new beginning. Again, God alone can do this work. So the wind invites us to even ask and think about ourselves, how many of us this day need a new start? How many of us this day need the windows of our hearts to be opened and fresh air, new air to come in? See, the wind tells us whoever and wherever we are today, the Spirit of God invites us to new life, to forgiveness, to hope, to reconciliation, to new ways of being human as we follow Christ. Along with the rushing wind, there are tongues as a fire resting on each person, and the fire points to God's presence the warmth, the consuming nature, the, the being drawn near to God. In the Old Testament, we can think of numerous places how the fire points to God's presence. Moses standing on holy ground before the burning bush. The prophet Elijah forms an altar on Mount Carmel and calls forth fire from heaven. And as the Israelites travel through the dark nights of the uncertain wilderness, a pillar of fire leads them. And a fire burns upon the altar in the temple of Jerusalem. In all these places, fire represented and confirmed the presence of God. And here again, tongues of fire communicate divine presence, but there is something new. Do you notice God's special presence is not upon a bush, not in the sky, not on an altar or in Jerusalem, but it rests upon individual men and women. The wind and the fire proclaim Christ's gift for us and call upon us to live lives of faith in him. In Christ, sealed by his spirit, we are now the people of God, the living temples of Christ, united with him, called to live as his presence, his representatives, wherever we would go in this world. What is Pentecost? It is the radical act of the hospitality of God that invites us to see our lives, to see our journey, to see our calling in new terms set forth by Christ in his life. So what is Pentecost? It's the first question that we ask. And the second one I want us to look at for the rest of our time is what does it mean to live as people of Pentecost? In order to consider this question, what does it mean to live as a people of Pentecost, I want us to contrast Pentecost with the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, we read about the Tower of Babel. It is a mysterious story where pride and attempts at self-sufficiency lead to confusion and to separation and to divisions. We read about this story that the people of Babel decided to build a great tower, one that reaches into the skies, that people would know who they are. In his novella, The Tower of Babylon, the author Ted Chiang 
imagines this ancient project. Maybe you've read historical fiction. This, this, this novella I found interesting because it invites us to imagine what it would be like to live during that project, during that construction. To imagine the awe or the wonder of seeing the tower build. To imagine that year after year, the, the more and more workers, more and more resources being accumulated to this project. For years, the construction goes on, calling for more and more resources and supplies, calling for more and more workers from, from farther to come to be part of it. And this novella imagines some of the builders even taking up residence in the tower. It isn't practical to go up and down every day. So we're invited to imagine these tower dwellers as, as families of, of miners, of pullers, of bricklayers, their lives adjusting to the ways and to the mechanics of living in the tower. In these tower dwellers, we are reminded that the tower always represented more than a construction project. It represents a way of being, a project that consumes and directs one's plans, resources, work, even where one dwells. The image echoes scripture. The tower has never merely been a building. It was a social project that the people may make a name for themselves. The tower was to be an image of humans seizing control of their own destiny, asserting power. Therefore, it seems it serves to represent what a society values, how it uses its resources. And as one lives in it or works to construct it, he or she become directed by its logic and its values. And as part of that in the novella, the, the logic of the tower says that a trowel, a trowel, a small tool used to apply and spread mortar, is more indispensable than a human life. See, the imagining of the story is that in the tower, tools and access to new ones is limited by the height. So the loss of even a trowel, the small tool, means a loss of work and production. And in the value and the logic of this project, if a man falls from the tower, he leaves his trowel behind for someone else to pick it up and use it. As the tower climbs, as one works higher with more motivation, the values are turned upside down. I share this image of the tower and its logic and values because you and I, all the time, we are invited, told to direct and devote ourselves to a social project. One that teaches us to value our tools, our resources, our access, our abundance, our potential glory, to value those things above the lives of others, the lives and well-being of our neighbors. This is the logic of the project that we're invited to each day. We've been reminded recently of how the tower project of our society has its own logic and values, determining who matters and who does not. Nicholas Bouillot is an art critic and a curator in his 2016 book, The X Forum, Bouillot argues that the best way to understand a society is to look at what or who that community, that project, leaves out. The best way to understand 
a society that the project that they're building is to see who or what is left out. He writes that the true story of a society can only be known by starting from what he calls the scraps and ruins. Those that that society, that project, labels as less, as disposable, as vulnerable or oppressed, those relegated to the edges whose misfortune and even deaths are understood as part of the project. We have been painfully reminded that the tower of our society, the tower that our society is building, leaves out many. It tells us the true nature of the society and the project that is at hand. But do you see that Pentecost interrupts the Tower of Babel? Pentecost is an event that interrupts the narrative and the building in a new way. Babel decided to build a great tower as a symbol of their power and resources, but it instead led to confusion, fracture, and broken promises. Pentecost offers a new project, one rooted in the actions of God. What is the glorious tower of God? What is the tower of the glorious presence for all to see? It is the cross upon which Jesus hung and died. It's through this glorious cross of sacrificial love for sinners that Jesus secures himself a people from every tribe, every race, and every tongue. And it's through the cross that Jesus, the rejected one, the cast aside one, the one labeled a scrap and part of the ruin, it's through the cross that this one breaks down the walls of hostility and forms a new people who by his spirit are to be his body and his presence in this world to bless their neighbors by his words and deeds. In place of confusion, in place of humble pride, in place of a project that says some lives or groups do not matter, comes the cross of Christ. Pentecost is a profound and world-changing act of the radical hospitality of our God. Do you see who is filled with the Spirit? It says all were filled. All the disciples were filled. All were filled with the Spirit and all spoke, representing God as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's important for us to see as so we understand this project that God is doing in Christ, that the Holy Spirit did not fall in just one kind of person. The Holy Spirit rested on all of them from Israel and from beyond, from places that we now call Iraq and Greece, from all over the Roman Empire, Egypt and Libya. And when asked about this new project that was breaking forth, Peter says it is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. The prophecy that's being fulfilled does not say, it does not say a handful of important men will prophesy. It does not say your wealthy families who look like you will get some dreams. It does not say those you feel comfortable with will have some visions to share. No, do you see how God describes the Pentecost project through this prophecy? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Old men, young men, old women, young women, from here and there to the ends of the earth. 
There is an invite in a work that is not based on gender or social status or age. Even the Spirit will be poured out on the male and female servants, Joel points out. Here's the vision of radical hospitality of God. Therefore, therefore, in light of this vision, you and I, in Christ, by His Spirit, must condemn and leave any social project that corrupts or devalues and kills us or our neighbors. We are to receive and share the hospitality of God. What does it mean to be the Pentecost people? Part of what it means is to be honest that part of the, the legacy of the American church is the degradation of our non-white neighbors, non-white brothers and sisters, instilling fear, saying other cultures are less civilized, their futures are less concerned, lives less valuable. This is the way of the tower of the world. And we must say no. For we remember the words in 1 John 4, how can we say we love God who we do not see if we fail to love our brothers and sisters who we do see? By the Spirit, God makes this His appeal, His welcome through His followers, and we are to be His presence, to speak His words, to act with His justice and His welcome by His Spirit. In letters to a young poet, the poet Rilke writes a series of letters. Imagine that. And he says in this collection of letters, there's a point where he says, there are moments in our lives when something new enters us, something unknown to us. One might suppose that nothing has happened, but we have been altered the way a house is altered when a guest enters it the way a house is altered when a guest enters it. Maybe you can remember such moments, such a change of a setting or a place when one enters. If we can picture that event, then by His Spirit, Jesus has entered into our homes, into our places of identity, into the logic and values that operate in us and around us, he enters into the projects that we have given ourselves to, and His presence changes things. Are we willing to let Him in, to sit with Him, to let Him and His love interrupt our ways? Are we willing to let Him help us see anew? You see, Jesus was hated. He was hated because He disrupted homes. He was hated because He disrupted accepted practices and traditions. He was hated because he interrupted the understood social contract and social project. And as a result, Jesus was the recipient of violence because he threatened to awaken those who did not want to be awoken. Because he ascribed great value to those his society was happy to throw away. Jesus pushes in extreme ways. By his spirit and his call, his words are expansive in nature. If we listen to the two great commandments, we are left with each person in our life receiving the title of neighbor and our responsibility to each person being to love them as we love ourselves. In this moment, let us remember the work of God in Pentecost 
And let us also through repentance and faith seek in Christ by his spirit to be the people of Pentecost. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that you do not leave us on our own to find our own way, but that you have acted in Christ by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would comfort us, but also interrupt us, that we may see and walk in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. receive God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole body and spirit and soul be found blameless at the coming of God. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.